Hi, and welcome to the On the Blue Couch podcast. I'm Kathleen, and this is the podcast that provides information, reflections, and interviews on anything and everything related to therapy. This is episode 11, Meditate, an interview with Andrew Tchaikovsky. Hi all and welcome to this episode on meditation. I'll be sharing with you today a previously recorded interview with a teacher of meditation. Uh, His name is Andrew Tchaikovsky and he is both owner and teacher at Meditate, a yoga and meditation center here in the Chicago area. He is also the author of the book Pressure, so you can check that out if you would like. I'm so thankful that Andrew is sharing his thoughts and perspectives on meditation because there are short-term and long-term benefits of having some sort of meditation practice. And over 10 years of research shows us what some of those are. And just to name a few, it includes increased concentration and focus, uh, managing moods, so decreasing depressive symptoms and anxiety, uh, being able to manage pain, uh, fostering positive relationships, increasing connections, increasing empathy. So given these benefits, it's no surprise that we're seeing meditation practice in places of work, we're seeing it more in the schools, Uh, we're also seeing in therapy, we're seeing people of all ages meditating, um, and it continues to spread. And so I am a big believer in meditation, and so I wanted to start off the year with talking about meditation and hope to bring you more information on it in future podcasts. Uh, So I want to share with you this interview. We'll start with the interview and then uh, Andrew will lead into a guided meditation. So if you are driving, uh, make sure to pause at the end of the interview. You will need a quiet space either on the floor or in a chair. So here you go. How would you describe meditation? Well, meditation, from my perspective, is the directing of one's mind onto various subject matters that you intend to focus on. There's many people who teach meditation as a stilling of the mind, and I think stilling of the mind is one step en route to becoming, you know, to meditate. Meditating is when you are actively applying your attention in a direction where you want to focus. So to me, it's a very active use of the mind. It's not allowing the mind just to go wherever it wants and take you through all your to-do lists and regurgitating memories and getting yourself anxious and worried. Clearly, that's not meditation. But when you, as the higher conscious being, uses the mind for some intended purpose, I consider that meditation. Mm -hmm. And do you remember the first time that you meditated and what that was like? No. (laughs) Actually, I don't. You don't? I don't remember the first time I meditated because I do remember being in the library when I was 16, Uh you know, so I was in high school, going to the library, looking for books on meditation. Typically, you know, what you could find at that time was more about transcendental meditation because that was the most popular form that at least had been written about. Uh Um, And I was always intrigued by that because they said, well, you need to find a spiritual teacher who gives you a mantra and it's a very private exchange. Only you and the teacher know it. It's some Sanskrit word. And that sounded very mysterious and exciting to me, but um, I never found anybody to do that. 
Okay. So do, what has your um, evolution of meditation look like? Well, it's, yeah, that's a, quite a long journey because I've been involved with meditation probably a solid 30 years. And really, um, for many of those years, I was dabbling by going to various workshops, attending Buddhist sessions on meditation. Um, at the time when I started, they, the, the mindfulness movement hadn't yet existed. But there were various teachers, mostly Indian teachers, Asian teachers on meditation. So I did my best to incorporate what I learned from them and attend workshops. And I think that I was really looking for a teacher, a one-on-one teacher. And I never found somebody that I really resonated with. So over the years, I developed a process of meditation that was working for me. It was a very active use of the mind, but I would emerge from those sessions feeling clear about what I needed to do, more relaxed. Then about 12 years ago, I did find a place in Oakland when I was living in Oakland, California, and they had a spiritual path, and meditation was central to the path. Um, It was a path of mysticism. It was a transformative path. And I brought my style of meditation, and they helped me refine it to what I essentially use now and what I teach now. And so Meditate has been open for how long now? We opened in July of 2013. Mm-hmm. So based on when this um, is playing, that, that gives you an idea. At this point in time, it's a little over two and a half years. Okay. And so what classes, courses, workshops are you offering? Yeah, we have three introductory uh, meditation courses and one that's a little bit more advanced. So uh, we have a level one meditation course, which we have two versions of. We have a six-week version, which we call the Express. That's a little bit less on the spiritual side. It's kind of like, let's get you the tools to meditate. You're coming for about a month and a half, once a week, and um, meditating here. And also you get some recordings to practice at home. So that's the level one Express. The level one comprehensive course is a 10-week course. The classes themselves are a little bit longer. There is a little bit more required because it's possible to graduate from that course. And that graduation piece is really designed to keep people engaged for the simple reason that learning to meditate can be challenging. The other introductory course is entitled Guided Visualization. And both the level one courses have one of the weeks where we talk about visualization, sometimes called creative visualization. And for those who are familiar with the movie The Secret or have read the book, It very much is the technique of using the mind while in a meditative state to imagine the situations or conditions of your life that you would like and then injecting them into the spiritual fabric of or the universal mind, however you want to phrase that. Then you have to go out and make it happen. Mm -hmm. But because you've used mind to seed the universe, or as the mystics would say, to inject your vision into the mind of God, then circumstances will tend to support your desire and it will manifest. Mm. And then we have the level two meditation course, which is entitled Opening to God Through Meditation. So that's a little bit more advanced. Mm -hmm. So for someone who has never meditated before, who's interested in starting a practice, what would you recommend to them to get started? Well, I think it is best to either find a course or find a teacher because there's certainly many, many resources on YouTube and on the internet that you can dabble in. Um, it's, very, it's a rare individual that's able to really learn to meditate simply by going to YouTube or reading a book mm-hmm. because they might be able to get started, but you, you need the feedback of somebody who has walked the journey before. Mm-hmm. It may seem on the surface that well, what you're doing is sitting concentrating inwardly and trying to still your mind and that is part of it 
But there's many pitfalls along the way because the ego and the mind typically are not really looking for you to succeed at meditation. It might sound a little counterintuitive. I mean, the ego, you can imagine, because as you become more tuned in through meditation, your ego will diminish in its uh, power over your life. So the Mm -hmm. ego will fight to defeat your meditation practice, which is kind of sad. But Mm -hmm. if people don't know that, the ego can... in engage the mind to create all sorts of reasons why meditation would not be good or you're never going to get it or you're not the kind of person who can succeed at it. And most people, actually, if they don't have a teacher or have a process, they buy into that and they give up. And then maybe a year from now, they try another thing. They go on a Vipassana retreat or they take a mindfulness workshop and they get excited again and then the mind comes in and kind of ruins it. Mm -hmm. So you need some help as far as being prepared for typically how your own mind will get in the way of succeeding at meditation. So that's a long-winded preamble to, I think it's best to seek out either an instructor, a private instructor if you can. Um, I think taking a course is better to being amidst peers that are trying to learn meditation, being in an environment that's very um, open and safe to being able to ask the questions that you have. That's really why I opened the place, is that I didn't think there were that many great outlets for people, especially what I call non-religious approach to meditation. Even though, ironically, our level two course is entitled Opening to God Through Meditation, I don't consider it a religious course. I consider it a spiritual course. And so I don't think there are that many outlets where people can come for six or ten weeks at a time and really commit to getting that rhythm going. And that's what I would recommend. If somebody's in a situation where there's no way they can find that, then I would suggest probably getting a book and then trying to either initiate some sort of a group, like a meetup group or something where they can get together with people. You need something that holds you accountable, is what I would suggest. So what do you think are some of the other things that get in the way of people, you know, they have the best of intentions to continue their practice and then they get stuck. Mm -hmm. So I guess my question is how to get out of the stuckness. Mm -hmm. Well, first of all, people's lives tend to creep up on them. I mean, in this season in particular, well, right now we're right around Christmas time in 2015, and people get very overwhelmed with the responsibilities and obligations of their lives. And there's a great quote that I often reference, especially in the emails that I send out by um, a mystic back in, I don't know what century he was around, but he says, the affairs of the world will go on forever. Don't delay the practice of meditation. So the affairs and obligations of your life are always going to be prominent. So that's one, the number one thing that derails people, I think. I think that's ask, actually masking the true reason that people don't meditate, which is that it's difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're over 20 years old, your mind has been able to run amok for 20 years for the most part because we don't really teach this stuff. We don't teach concentration in schools. We don't teach the value of discerning the various types of thinking. When your mind gets into negative, judgmental, fierce, uh, fearful anxious mindsets Mm -hmm. we're more focused on well mathematics and english and vocabulary and social studies and history and geography and those are important but the kind of life skills that you need are going to be much more available to you if you learn how to work with the mind now coming into it at 30 40 50 years old people's minds are pretty established as far as how they work so trying to change that is challenging and you know If you look at a weight loss program, for example, let's say somebody is 25 pounds overweight, not a huge amount, but, you know, significant. If they drop 25 pounds, they're going to, their clothes will fit differently. They're going to feel different. 
that could take somebody six months to a year to lose. So that at the end of that time period, you've actually learned some new skills. You eat differently, you exercise differently. But the body resists in certain fairly primitive ways. In other words, it goes, it gets tired and whiny. Mm -hmm. But the mind will provide very sophisticated ways to convince you that meditation is not a good idea. And so that's, that's probably the biggest challenge is that the voice of our own minds get in the way and derail progress. And so what have you seen as a teacher for people who are actually able to commit and really stick with it? What do you see that happens in their lives as they stick with the meditation practice? Well, the first thing that's evident in somebody who sticks with it is that they're driven by some reason. They believe that if they learn to meditate, certain outcome will happen. So it's not uncommon that we have somebody who's emerged from some sort of a difficult situation, difficult breakup, lost a job, Mm -hmm. maybe a death in the family, something that has significantly thrown them off emotionally. Or you have somebody who's racked with anxiety, and is a very worrisome individual, and they've been hearing year after year that meditation would help them. The motivation for them to succeed at meditation is strong, and that's, pardon me, that's what I see as a consistent piece that allows people to stick with it. Because even in a a 10-week course, people are going to hit walls. They're going to hit points where they probably just want to give up. And I actually talk about that from the first couple of weeks, just to be alert for that and not let that derail you. Um, I think some people come into a course somewhat hopeful, but not really realistic that it's going to require a fair amount of dedication. They're going to come to the class, and then I suggest that they meditate three, four times on their own at home. Then all of a sudden they realize, oh, my dog doesn't like it when I'm meditating because he feels like I'm ignoring him, or my cat's <laughs> crawling all over me, and so, or there's the street noise because I live on a busy street, or you know, my neighbors are always playing music every time I want to meditate. So now there's just the sheer physical challenge of dealing with it. So some people are going to deal with that and other people will give up. Other people will give up. If people do stick with it, we find that even in the 12 weeks or 10 weeks of the course, that they will begin to notice themselves becoming less emotionally reactive. So there's almost like there's a gap that starts to develop. I recognize I'm having feelings and now before just acting on it impulsively and potentially creating difficult situations in my life, I realize I need to step back and meditate on it. People typically report that they're sleeping better. Not like every night, but they're starting to notice that in general their sleep is more relaxed. And the reason for that is in meditation you're letting off the pressures of your mind and emotions by just reviewing what's going on. Because if you don't do that, a lot of people go to lie down to sleep and their mind just wants to just churn, churn, churn for sometimes an hour or two hours before it lets them fall asleep. That's totally out of accord with how we're created. We shouldn't have that. But you can't just tell somebody, oh, you shouldn't have that. They need to learn a process that those thoughts would be siphoned off, would be acknowledged before they go to bed. So typically people who are meditating regularly will start to be sleepy when they're supposed to be. Um, Other things we start to recognize, um, people starting to note the amount of negativity in their lives. So this is one of the challenges that as you become more conscious through meditation, that there is a little bit of a burden of responsibility. And as somebody who teaches from the spiritual perspective, because I don't know if we mentioned this earlier, but I am an ordained priest, and so that is my calling is to teach spiritually. As you grow spiritually, you become more responsible. And so 
that's another thing people start to recognize that certain friendships and relationships are maybe more toxic than they realized. And that can create some challenges for people. It's like, hmm, I'm not sure what to do with this yet. And then I'm able to help them. It's not like they have to cut relationships off. But they might have to recalibrate sometimes. They may find themselves a little bit less interested in drinking as much. They may find themselves not drawn as much to certain negative movies or TV shows. Um, because those things, when you let that kind of stuff in regularly, it does create anxiety on the soul. And this meditation practice will begin to reduce that. That's probably the the biggest reward that I find is that people who experience a lot of anxiety are recognizing that through meditation that anxiety can be reduced. I certainly don't promise that in 10 weeks they're going to go from, you know, levels of anxiety of 8 or 9 out of 10 consistently to down to 1 or 2. Mm-hmm. But they'll see that as a result of meditating regularly, their anxiety is beginning to diminish. So for people who are not in the Chicago area and looking for a school mm-hmm. or a teacher, um, what do you recommend they look for um, in their school? What kind of qualities, characteristics do you think they need to pay attention to? I think it's pretty simple. When you go to a place that teaches meditation, I think you want to just feel good. You want to feel comfortable. So that, you know, for example, there's a lot of Zen uh, meditation centers. And somebody might go to that and go, you know, this seems very cool, but I don't really resonate with the symbology, that Eastern symbology. Or they might be taught by monks and they're wearing robes and I might be nervous that, well, is that implying that I'm kind of moving in that direction? Um, Other people might go like, oh, I love, you know, the orange robes and just the peacefulness and the look of the monks. And that's that really resonates with me. If it resonates with you, I think you should go with it. If you just feel like it works. If you don't feel that, I wouldn't force it. I would go, let me keep looking. Um, I think that's the main thing is just a comfort with the, the place. And also, you know, it's obviously critical that you connect with the teacher. You feel the teacher has integrity. You feel that the teacher's motivation is pure. Sometimes in the spiritual realm, you have certain types of folks where there's they're sort of always selling the next program. And, you know, that can be a little off-putting. Sometimes they're very sincere and they're good teachers. And I know from running a business that we do have to keep track of the bottom line. So I wouldn't jump on that too quickly. But if every week you get together and there always seems to be an advertisement for the next workshop or something, you know, that might be a, an indication that the motivation's a little off. So for people wanting to practice at home, um, how do you recommend that people sit in meditation? Yeah, that's, that's a very interesting topic. And I'm, I'm very lax in this area to, in this way. I don't necessarily advocate sitting cross-legged on the floor because... For the simple matter, in all my years of meditating, I didn't find that it made a huge difference compared to sitting in a deliberate way, you know, in a chair with a good back support. So on the extremes of one side, you have a very rigid kind of trying to do the posture exactly right, sitting in cross-legged in lotus position. Your back is, you know, stiff and straight in a certain way. You've got your thumb touching your middle finger, your roof, your tongue is touching the roof of your mouth. You're really trying to do everything right. And I find that that can be a trap because it can sometimes lead to a bit of a prideful mentality about, well, this is the correct way to meditate. And sometimes those people are not really actually even getting into much of a meditative state because so much focus is on the physical body. I don't consider the body all that important in meditation. I think the body should be relaxed. And 
it should be in a deliberate posture. So what I find most people respond well to is sitting in a chair. The chair is comfortable. There's um, back support. It shouldn't be totally upright. I think a chair with a 90 degree angle is too stiff. It's not going to feel relaxing, but a little bit of um, incline is helpful. And then I just recommend that feet are flat on the ground and hands are naturally falling in your lap, eyes are closed, shoulders relaxed, and your head is tilted slightly downward as though you're looking about six to eight feet in front of you. That's the posture that I teach. Um, sometimes people sit in the chair and they sit cross-legged and I don't think that's a problem. I think that's fine. As long as there isn't any pain or discomfort or strain in the body. If there is, likely your meditation is going to be um, overcome by, or what's the word, overshadowed by the physical discomfort. Mm-hmm. And for you know people who are beginning... You know, especially for anxiety, people often bring in their own anxiety, racing thoughts. Uh, what do you suggest that people do with those racing thoughts or what's an intention they can set um, so that they can get into a place of meditation? Well, yeah, that's, I mean, in a way, what you're just describing is the reason to learn to meditate. So there isn't really a simple answer to that, except you need to have a process. And so what we teach is a four-step process. When you sit down to meditate, about the first minute and a half is focusing on breathing. And even that can feel like a torturously long time, a minute and a half, because as I often joke, we're breathing every second of every day, so the novelty's kind of worn off, right? But it's helpful to just tune into breathing and try to deepen slightly in your breathing so that you feel your abdomen is moving with the breath. Because if you're breathing and your diaphragm and your abdomen are moving, which is a very natural form of breathing, it's generally an indication that you're, you're fairly relaxed. Contrary, what I mean is if you're just breathing in the chest and your stomach is tight, then there's some tension in your being. So I would rather that people become aware of that. But we don't usually spend much more than a minute and a half on that. Then I recommend something called a body scan. And the body scan is the time where you are um, putting your attention on various parts of your body, beginning with your feet, your ankles, your calves, your knees, your upper legs, your hands, your wrists. You're going through your whole body from feet all the way up to head. And just acknowledging each body part and noticing how it feels and making sure it's relaxed. Most areas of your body will be relaxed. It's, you know, it's unlikely that your knees are tense. <laughs> However, if they are, you'll relax them. Mm-hmm. But, you know, areas that tend to be tense, sometimes people don't realize that their belly or abdomen is clutched. Their cheeks actually sometimes can be a little tight. Their forehead can be tight. Shoulders, back of neck muscles, sometimes it feels like there's tension there. So going through this body scan helps relax those. While you're doing that, it's likely that the mind will be bombarding you with thoughts. And what I suggest is do your best to ignore them. Consider them unimportant because you're putting your attention elsewhere. This is really the crux of what somebody has to learn in meditation is that the commodity is their attention. So as a thought comes into your mind, let's say you're trying to meditate and the thought comes, I wonder what I'm going to have for dinner. Well, that's, you don't give your attention to that because that's not central to what you're trying to do. But many people are not, they don't have enough built up willpower. So they go, oh, well, let me just quickly answer this one. Why don't we have chicken and broccoli? Mm-hmm. And then, but now you've broken your concentration. And then the next thought comes like, oh, like, oh how should we cook the chicken? And all of a sudden, you're caught up in your whole chicken thing, right? And then you go like, I'm actually really hungry. And before you know it, you're like, this meditation's not working. <laughs> the best thing to do is when the first thought of dinner comes in, you goes, we're not doing that right now. And you kind of deflect it away. That's going to take some practice. 
Um, if the mind is racing, then it just means there's a lot of thoughts coming at you. And people feel overwhelmed by that. That's like if you imagine there's three people in your house and they're all talking to you at high speeds at the same time and you feel obligated to hear each one and respond to them. Let me just say this. You're, you're not obligated to address any of that. It's garbage. Most of it is just pure garbage. So you're not missing anything by ignoring it. But learning that discipline is going to take some practice because we seem to be hyper-curious and feel obligated to respond to all that garbage. So you go through the body scan and as you're going through the body scan and you're, not, you're doing your best not to give in to the thoughts, then I do suggest, okay, now open to your mind, now that you're a little calmer, and see what comes up. The wording of this is very important. Listen to the thoughts that your mind presents to you. Don't go like, this is what I'm thinking. We want to separate the distance between you as the observer of the mind and the thoughts themselves. It's a really important distinction. Spiritual teachers refer to that as a gap. There's a gap between what you as a conscious being is paying attention to and what the thoughts are that are on your mind. When you get that, when you realize that the commodity is do you put your attention on the thought or ignore it, it's the beginning of a whole new calibration to your relationship to your mind. And that's, to me, that's the, the essence of, well, that's actually before you meditate. You do that, and now that your mind is available for what you want to think about, so let's say I go like, I want to meditate on my business and figure out what I'm going to do for the, the new year. I want to make some changes. I really want to give my full attention to it. So now I apply myself in meditation and just use my mind to think about my business. Now if the mind goes with me for a few minutes and then starts to go, hey, what about dinner? I go, I'm involved with something else and I return to my focus. It's very nonviolent, meaning I don't berate or hate that part of my mind. I accept it. But it's kind of like, you know, a child tugging at your sleeve going like, can I get a lollipop? And go like, no, we're not doing that right now. Mm-hmm. So how do people know that they are moving into more of that gap in, with the observation mind? Well, that's a good question. I never thought about how to affirm that. Yeah, there's statements or is there a certain different kind of self-awareness around that? Um, you know, I think really what it is, is it's a different feeling. It's a feeling of relaxation and focus. One of the things that sometimes people go like, you know, in this era, we have a lot of ADHD and all, all sorts of different various acronyms that when I was a kid, we didn't have that. We had somebody's hyperactive. That was just one diagnosis. And it was pretty rare, actually. I think with the um, onslaught of technology and the devices and the speed with which people expect their cell phones to respond, the websites to come up, you know, how much time they're going to give to a YouTube video, etc., the attention span has naturally become very compromised. And however, I always start one of my classes on concentration. I go, who here is able to watch a movie they enjoy and really get in, immersed in it? And almost everybody does. That's a form of concentration. You watch a movie and you're just engaged in the subject matter, the storyline, the characters, the visuals. So your mind becomes very engaged and also your emotional side, especially if, it's, if there is an emotional component. I mean, if it's just an action movie, the emotions are more you know, adrenaline-based. But either way, your concentration is held by the, by the subject matter. When you're in meditation, you can reach that same state where you're just very engaged in what you're thinking about. And it's very deliberate and it's very conscious and it's very enjoyable. So when you're there, there's a certain effortlessness. Some people might refer to it as being in the zone. You're in the zone when you're really having a good thought process. If you're being bombarded with thoughts and you're trying to appease them, then you're not going to feel relaxed typically. You're going to feel a little scattered, a little frantic, overwhelmed at times, and just 
kind of um, drained. Mm -hmm. So that, that's the contrast that I would say. Mm -hmm. So before we move into meditation, um, I was wondering if you had any recommendations of books, apps, websites that people can go to who want to find out more about meditation? Well, that's, yeah. You know, I, I don't have a ton of recommendations, but I'm going to give you some peripheral ones. I've heard that Headspace as an app is quite good. And I read about them in Time Magazine, and it sounds like they've, that company has invested a fair amount of time into creating a, a pretty diverse product. Honestly, I haven't used it. I've heard a few people who have had, and they enjoy it. So I'm going to say that that's probably the leading meditation app. Um, as far as books... I haven't read a lot of books on meditation, certainly not recently. And as I mentioned earlier in our discussion, I think books can be um, risky as far as reading something and then trying a technique and maybe getting discouraged or not quite doing it right because you don't have the feedback of a person in, in real life. So I don't typically recommend learning meditation that way. But as you said, if people don't have the access, aren't, don't have access to a center or something, the teacher that I like on meditation is uh, Paramahansa Yogananda. And people may know him. He's famous for a book called Autobiography of a Yogi. Mm -hmm. And he's a real spiritual teacher. I mean, there's a lot of people who proclaim themselves to be master teachers and who are teaching a lot of stuff. And honestly, to me, I'm not always 100% certain that they have are, are knowing everything that they teach. Um, but I don't want to get into that so much. I, but I, I know from reading Paramahansa Yogananda that at least from my perspective, he's the real deal. And he's interested in love. He's interested in teaching about love. And he was a Hindu, but at some point he received guidance from Jesus in meditation to come to the West and teach the principles of yoga. yoga. And he was faithful to that obedience. Uh, sorry, to that guidance. He was mm -hmm. obedient to it. So I like the fact that he's able to cross over into various religions or various spiritual um, doctrines. Mm -hmm. And I like the fact that he is a supporter of Christ because I think that that's, that's a very important consciousness. So anything by Paramahansa Yogananda, I think, is worth giving a shot. Okay. So Andrew, thanks for providing all this great information on meditation um, and being a part of this podcast. Um, we are now going to move into a guided meditation with Andrew. So at the end of this meditation, this podcast will then be over and you can kind of sit in your own silence. Um, how long is the meditation going to be about? Uh, the meditation itself will be 20 minutes. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. So at the ringing of the bell is kind of the start of it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So what I would suggest for wherever you are is move into a place where you can sit comfortably. A chair or a couch is fine. If you prefer sitting on the floor, that's okay. As I mentioned, my preferred posture is your feet are flat on the, on the ground and your back is right up against the back support of the chair. And then you're reclining, so you're not sitting upright too stiff. You can put your hands where they fall naturally in your lap, either cupped or intertwined. Um, you can put them face up or face down on your knees or on your legs. Either way is fine. Make sure your shoulders are relaxed, your eyes are closed, and we will begin. meditation now 
by becoming aware of our breathing. You'll notice as you take your inhales and as you take your exhales, how your body is responding, expanding slightly on the inhale and contracting on the exhale. Begin to slow the rhythm of your breathing down by taking longer, deeper breaths. You may begin to feel your body relax as you do so. Bring your attention now to your abdomen. Focus your attention and ideally you'll feel that your belly is expanding and contracting slightly as you breathe. that you're breathing in a deep enough way to relax and enter into a meditative state. Now for the next part of the meditation, I'd like you to bring your attention up to your mind and become aware of your thoughts. In the beginning of the meditation, it's very helpful to notice yourself and recognize your thoughts. There's part of you that is observing the mind. It is not the mind, that is not the thoughts. But recognizing the difference between you, the observer of your thoughts, and the thoughts. By acknowledging the thoughts and trying not to follow them, not to engage in them, but just to notice what the mind is presenting. This relieves some of the pressure of the mind. technique which I would like you to try as a way to distance yourself from your mind so we can move into the relaxation of the body. Imagine now that your mind is a voice in another room. And visualize yourself standing at the doorway to this room, seeing the door handle, reaching for the door handle, and gently closing the door. symbolic of you creating some distance between yourself and your thoughts. Imagine that the mind is in the other room and you've closed the door. Now bring your focus to your body. Concentrate on my voice as I lead you through the relaxation of the physical body. And if you're aware of your mind presenting thoughts, do your best to ignore them. Try not to engage in them. So let's begin by focusing on our feet. Become aware of your feet and where they're placed. Notice if your feet feel warm or cool or neutral. And just make sure that your feet feel relaxed. Next, move your attention to your ankles, your shins, your calf muscles. Become aware of these parts of your body attention to your knees and your upper legs. And you'll become aware that your legs are touching the seat of the chair that you're on. Notice if there's any tension, tightness, any subtle flexing of the leg muscles. And try to let that go. Feel the chair or the couch where you're sitting fully supporting your weight. Let's take a moment to check in with our breathing. Our breathing is still deep and full. 
ideally feeling that subtle movement of the belly with each breath, expanding slightly on the inhale and contracting on the exhale. Now let's bring our attention to our hands. Become aware of where your hands are placed and how they feel. Your hands feel warm, or cool, or neutral. Just notice these little details. In particular, I'd like you to focus for a moment on your palms and fingers. As you concentrate on these areas, you may experience a very subtle buzzing or tingling sensation in the palms of the hands. This is normal, as the things that we think about receive energy. Let your hands go and be totally relaxed, comfortable, heavy, resting on your legs. Move your attention now to your wrists and forearms. You may be aware of them resting on your legs, touching the side of your body perhaps. Let them go as well. Let your arms, wrists and hands feel heavy and comfortable where they're resting. Now move your attention to your upper arms and shoulders. Noting how your shoulders feel. Shoulders sometimes can be an area where we store tension. Notice how your shoulders feel and try to let them fall. As you exhale next, imagine you're releasing any tightness in the shoulders. Continually feeling your body move into this more meditative, relaxed state. Remember that we're ignoring the mind. It's quite common that the mind will be presenting thoughts trying to get your attention. Do your best to ignore it. Continue your focus on your body and on your breathing. Tuning in next to your back and feeling your back muscles, feeling the support of the backrest of your chair or couch back, resting against the back support of the chair. And take a couple of deep breaths on your own to relax your back muscles all the way down to the lower back area. Let's bring our attention now back to the breathing. Noticing your upper body and how it's expanding and contracting with each breath. Focus your attention now up to your throat. As you focus on your throat, you may experience an urge to swallow. It's okay to do. Also notice the muscles at the back of your neck. Like the shoulders, the back of the neck can sometimes store tension. So if you're aware of tension in the back of the neck or shoulders, as you take in your next deep breath and exhale, imagine that you're releasing that tension as though it's evaporating off of your body as you exhale. For the final part of our body relaxation, bring your attention up to your face. Begin by noticing your jaw, if there's any tension or tightness in the jaw, relax it. 
tuning in next to your lips and your cheeks. Let your cheek muscles soften. Let your face relax. Keep your eyes and your eyelids still. Finally, become aware of your forehead, your eyebrows. Imagining your forehead to be smooth, your eyebrows to be relaxed. sitting peacefully and breathing deeply, continuing to ignore our thoughts as best we can. Having completed the body scan, relaxing with the physical body, what I'd like you to do now is open to your thoughts. Give space for your mind Feel the thoughts that are coming up. But remember that you are the neutral observer of your thoughts, that you have a choice over which thoughts you engage in. Developing the awareness of the gap between yourself as observer of the mind and the thoughts themselves will really lend itself to learning this meditation process. Recognizing that thoughts may come up and you have a choice whether or not you follow them and value them. Notice if your mind gravitates towards reciting your to-do list or regurgitating memories over and over again. Those thoughts are not conducive to meditation. So you can decide that you will return to those thoughts when you're done. In the event that your mind moves towards very critical, judgmental, negative, anxious thoughts, for the most part those thoughts have no value. Do your best to shut them down by ignoring them completely. best done by moving your focus out of the head and towards your heart area. Opening and becoming aware of how you feel or how you've been feeling, either today or the last few days. The object of this part of the guided meditation is to recognize if there's any feelings or emotions that you have neglected, ignored, or been avoiding, which may be creating tension below the surface in your Address and process them if you can. So take some time now to drop into your heart. Become aware of any feelings and emotions that are present. And give them some attention. 
recognizing whether they're positive, negative, or neutral, it's important to become aware of your emotional state in order to move into more relaxed states of being. step process. Tuning into your breathing, beginning to breathe in a little more relaxed way. Spending some time relaxing the physical body part by part. Checking in with your thoughts, tuning in with your emotions. This now sets you up to have a good inward focus. And for the remainder of today's meditation, you'll simply be on your own, within yourself, listening to the music. Use the time to begin an active thought process. This is where you decide what you want to focus on, some aspect of your life that would benefit from a full five or six minutes of concentrated thought. If the mind jumps in and tries to distract you with unrelated thoughts, do your best to ignore those thoughts and come back to the topic that you've chosen. Let's see how this fares out for you. At the end of the meditation, you will hear 